0: morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Okay, right. y'all had y'all coffee this morning. A little something about me. I often do this thing where I kind of play these mind games with ourselves. And I often kind of really try to put myself in historical time periods and always ask myself, what was it like? Like, what was it like to live there? Like, for instance, what was it like to live in the 1980s? That's true, I don't know what it's like to live in the 1980s. Or what was it like to live in the 1960s and 1920s? Or what was it like to live in the 1500s, the 1200s, the 4th century, the 1st century, the age of the major prophets, the era of King David, the time of Moses and the, the 12 tribes of Israel, or Abraham, or Noah? I do this all the time. What was it like to live there? And so just for a second, I want to invite you to join me and kind of muse with our minds what it was like to live in the Garden of Eden. One can almost imagine the, the central imagery that we hear in the first chapter of Genesis, right? That beautiful ushering in of creation. Your imagination can almost like run wild with all the imagery that we see depicted in art trees and birds and flowers, star, the sun. But I want us to take a different approach. I don't want us to focus on the central imagery. I want us to imagine what it was like to have the experience of living in Eden. Like, what did it it feel like interiorly? What was life like? Not just what you could see, but what you could feel. You know, in the Bible, it doesn't really paint for us a picture of what it was like in detailed description. First chapter is all about the big picture creation story. Second chapter of Genesis is all about the zoomed in on the six-day version, right, of creation of man and woman. And then third chapter, boom, we're getting into the fall. So what was it like? Well, we know that there were consequences to the fall, so let's, let's reverse that. What was it like to be in the Garden of Eden before the fall? The first thing is that we're in total harmony with God. One never says, does God exist? One never asks, where is God? Is God speaking to me? There's no feeling of a seemingly absence from God or an appearance of his neglect. There's no questioning whether God loves you or God desires you or God wants your personal happiness. There's a sort of natural intuition of this transcendent, this connection with him. Gosh, what would it be like? The second thing is we have total harmony with ourselves. There's never a feeling of despair or doubt or depression. No loneliness, anxiety, no addiction. No feeling that you're not worth anything. Never carrying an interior unrest that you can't just seem to throw away. Never feeling the guilt of a past sin or past mistake. Never struggling to make a good and right decision. Never having the feeling of wondering if you're good enough. Hey, what was it like? Thirdly, we have total harmony with others. Can you imagine never arguing with your spouse? Can you imagine having total peace with your children, your co-workers, your neighbors, your relatives, even that crazy Uncle Bob who only comes on Christmas? A total peace amongst people. Never experiencing hurt from someone else and never carrying around that hurt For years and years and years and years. No gossip, no distrust, no divorce. Never being used by someone else. No wars and never losing a beloved family member or friend. What was it like? And lastly and fourthly, total harmony with creation. No natural disasters, no tornadoes, no hurricanes. Or even better, no suffering, no disease, no battling cancer, no sickness, no migraines, no chronic discomfort or pain. What would it be like to live in the Garden of Eden before the fall? You know, this sounds just like we all want, right? We're almost like, if we could just have that, wow, I want to go back there. You can almost kind of experience the bliss if you really enter into what it would be like to live there before the fall. Unfortunately, we don't live there. And we know what happened, right? There was a man and woman, Adam and Eve, who through their own will chose to separate themselves from the very one who is holding all that harmony together. Now before we judge them on their choice, let's not be too presumptuous that we wouldn't make the same decision as them. But there's two parties involved in this terrible tragedy, this terrible divorce and separation, right? God and man. And the destruction of such peace, the destruction of such harmony is not because of God. He never wanted that for us. But because they chose to say, we don't want you. Where I consider the very being that's holding it all together in perfect harmony and peace, the very power, if I can use this image, that is magnetizing everything together, sustaining it. He's removed from the picture, pushed away, and so what happens? Everything comes crashing down, broken into pieces. That's the great tragedy of Eden. The total collapse and crashing of all peace, all harmony, with God with ourselves, with others, and with creation. Ever been in a terrible separation with another person or a fight with them? The agony that we have in our heart. But y'all, something something amazing happened. Because what does the offended party do? What is the party that was offended by the other person, what does that person do? He goes in search of the offender. Adam, where are you? Eve, where'd y'all go? Well, Lord, we, we, we hid from you. We were naked and ashamed. But y'all, isn't it supposed to be the other way around? Isn't this what we teach our kids from the youngest of ages? That if you hurt somebody, you're the one that goes and seeks them out, pursues them. You are the one that goes and apologizes to them. Apologizes. You're the one that goes to make reconciliation, not the way the other way around. You see, my brothers and sisters, the biblical story, the story in the Bible from the very, very beginning is different than any other story you've heard. The one who was offended, the one that was hurt, the one that was sinned against, he's the one slowly picking up the pieces. He's the one slowly putting everything back together. He's the one that's going after the offender. Something's different about this story. You see, he doesn't go and search for revenge. He goes in search for reconciliation. You know, so many of us consider that religion, and most religions meet this criteria, is man's search for God. That religion is our attempt, our trying to get to God. Christianity is not that type of religion, primarily. Primarily and at the foundation, Christianity and the Christmas story is God is in search for man. God is in search for you. It's like the plot twist that has everyone saying, what is he doing? And why is he doing that? This is where we find ourselves on this Wednesday morning, on December 25th, 2019, and this is why we are gathered here, my brothers and sisters, is because we're celebrating God's search for man. God's pursuit of you and me. From that silent holy night in Bethlehem was born the God man. Many of you may know the uh, author C.S. Lewis, and this is how kind of he articulates the great mystery of the incarnation. He says the incarnation of the Son of God, the historical reality of God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ is the radical search of God for man. And it's so radical. It's so radical that he becomes a little baby who can't even lift up his head. And he does so. He comes in such humility to arrive, as he says, so secretly, so covertly, so clandestinely sneaking, as it were, behind enemy lines. You see, the incarnation is the coming together of the two parties, the offender and the offended. Man and God. The person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Mary is the solution to the problem. It's the answer to the fall. You see, he represents both parties, and he can bring them together. Maybe to give you this image, it's like this piece of cloth has been torn. And for years and years and years, he's slowly moving through the cloth to bring it together. And then in the incarnation, when God becomes man, he like pulls the needle with a string so quickly, and it brings the cloth from crashing together. But it creates this new and beautiful cloth that is totally renewed. Do you remember playing that game in the beginning of the homily? What was it like? What was it like before the fall? My brothers and sisters, we'll never know that in this life, except when we get to the next. And the consequences of such a fall from grace, such a separation from God, has not left us. But that doesn't mean we don't have an answer. Because all the things that broken harmony left us with, The good news that we celebrate today, it's that it has an answer. You know, the answer to all life's questions about God and harmony with God, the answer to whether God is with us, the answer to whether God loves you or desires you, the answer to restoring your relationship with God, the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer to whether you are good enough, your worth, the answer to your depression, your anxiety, your inability to overcome temptation the answer to that restlessness that you just can't throw away, the answer to restoring harmony with yourself is the person of Jesus Christ. The answer to the problems and difficulties in your marriage, the answer to good friendships, good working relationships, good relationships with your relatives, the answer to true peace on earth, the answer to the healing to that hurt you have been carrying for years, the answer to losing a family member or a friend is Jesus Christ. The answer to all suffering, disease, illness, and pain, the answer is Jesus Christ. The divorce of God and man caused an immense tragedy. But now God, through the incarnation, is like wedding himself back to humanity for all eternity. Thanks be to God. And he does so in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who whines, cries, eats, and sleeps. Just like a baby. We made ourselves enemies to God, but in the Word made flesh, he goes behind enemy lines to save us from our own demise. God did not wait until we went back to him. God went and searched for us. He went and searched for you and for me. And he's pursued us and he became like us in all things but sin. So my brothers and sisters, I leave you with the words, the powerful words of St. Augustine. As he pondered this mystery, he says, wake up. And so I say to you, wake up. Wake up, Biloxi, Mississippi. Wake up, Nativity Cathedral. Wake up, all you sons and daughters of the Father. Wake up, all of you who dare to take on the name of Christian. Wake up because it was for you that God became man. Rise up, wake up, and realize, my brothers and sisters, it was all for you. All of it was for you. Make room in your heart this morning. Welcome the Savior, because he comes just for you.